0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I want to start by saying uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the message on Wednesday night, I want to ask that you do that because it really ties into what it is that I want to talk about here this morning. And I just don't have time to fully go through it. I would want to go through it on a, on a pretty deep level. But today, I want to get to a specific landing point. And so, What I'm going to do is just summarize my message from Wednesday, maybe in two or three points, okay? Are you ready? Number one, eternity is really, really long. Okay, we got that? Eternity is a really long time. Number two, this life, in comparison to it, is really short pretty simple. James says that this life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. In comparison to all of eternity, it's this short time frame. And all of that means that what we do right now on the earth really, really matters. It really matters. And that's in the good times and the bad times, in the times where we celebrate the goodness of God, and in the times that are really tough. I want to just look, and this is our main verse from the other night, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're limited. They're temporary. They're fleeting. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This life, as short as it may be in comparison to the view of eternity to the reality of eternity is so important because as we are walking through this life, in the good times and the bad times, as I said, God is using these moments to prepare something for us that is not just going to be speaking to the life on earth, but for all of eternity. I'm really condensing this down here today. There, there is this idea sometimes of eternity that is based out of I don't know, this idea of of what we think it's supposed to look like, of what heaven is supposed to look like. I I joked around in the first service. I always thought that when I got to heaven, it was basically going to be I was going to play baseball with all the Yankees. We were going to go out there on the field, and me and Mickey Mantle were going to be throwing the ball around. All the Red Sox would be in purgatory still. Don't check my theology on this. But that heaven, that eternity, that everything that came after this life, like you get that picture of kind of just, hey, we're going to sit and we're going to float on the clouds. We're just going to hang back. We're going to eat all the time, which is, sounds fabulous, right? We're going to have this great time. But when we look at verses like this, we have to really understand what our viewpoint of eternity actually is. What does eternity look like? What actually comes after this life? And when we recognize that this life is temporary, what impact does it have on the way that we choose to go through situations? What impact does it have in the difficult times? As Paul said, these light and momentary afflictions, can I tell you that they don't always feel light and momentary? The afflictions, the situations that we go through on earth, they don't always feel light. They don't always feel easy. They don't always feel temporary. But when we look at eternity and we recognize all that is to come, we can start to see, okay, there is something that God wants to do through each and every situation that I go through. Paul talks about our physical bodies as being tents, temporary dwelling places, Not permanent houses. We go in tents on vacation because it's fun to do for a little bit. Some of us don't go in tents at all. We go in RVs. We go with like, you know, full electricity and air conditioning and televisions. Glamping, I think is what it's called. Right? But still, if we are in a temporary arrangement, it is temporary. It's not our eternal dwelling place. So what I want to look at today is how can we prepare for what is eternal in the time right now that is momentary and temporary what are we called to do in the here and now because our life on earth as short as it might be it matters very very deeply the decisions we make now they matter a whole heck of a lot you see i believe that when we get to heaven it's not going to just be floating around on clouds I believe that in heaven, it's going to be a culmination of all that God has invested in us here on earth. The talents, the giftings, the passions. It's going to be the culmination of all that God has designed and created us to be, except with no limitation. It's not going to be just sitting around for eternity. We have this idea of heaven sometimes. There was a TV show um, called The Good Place. And at the end of it, they they get to heaven and and after a while, everything's just so perfect. Everything's just so amazing that they get bored and eventually they, they take the exit route and they just kind of cease to exist. This is fun for a TV show, but there's no truth in it whatsoever. Why would God use this entire life on earth, invest in us, design us, create us, for us to get to heaven and just kind of be there? That's not heaven and that's not God. That's not the way that God would design it. It is the ultimate culmination of all that he has placed in us. So what does it mean to live our life on earth in expectation of the reality of eternity? What does it mean to realize that these light and momentary afflictions are meant to produce something? They're meant to result in something. They're meant to actually bring us to a place of greater trust, reliance and empowerment through the person of Jesus. The thing is, is that this word affliction means persecution, distress, and tribulation. I would love to be able to stand up here and say today that when you get to heaven, the things that are really going to matter are going to be your greatest successes. They're going to be the times where everything came together perfectly The times where you did all the things that that you wanted to do and you got the applause of men and everybody was happy and the church was full and all those things. I, I think that God will use some of those things as well. But what does this verse say? Verse 17. What is it that produces the eternal weight of glory? It's the light and momentary affliction, it's the times of resistance. It's the times of pain. It's the times of challenge. It's the times where things are not going the way that we think that they should, that we expected that they would, and and they're not actually always ending up with the outcome that we had always expected. But yet still in those moments, God is preparing us, He's equipping for us, and if we would choose to trust Him in those moments, He is producing something, that is eternal, that it's weighty, and it's in His glory. This is, this is how we have to, to see the challenges of this life because very often we do recognize that life is temporary. And we do say things like, you got to stop and smell the roses. you got to take the time to enjoy. Those things matter. But do we recognize that it's really in the moments of challenging that God is developing and growing muscles within us to be able to become all that he has designed us and created us to become. You see when we realize this our response to the difficult seasons of life start to look a little bit different. When we recognize that it's in our decisions to trust in his strength in the midst of our weakness, that he's able to bring about an outcome that is better than we could ever imagine. If we have this mindset, we realize that he has provision for us in the moments where we don't have it, where we feel inadequate, ill-equipped, and ill-prepared to face what's in front of us. You see, when we realize this and we choose to trust in him, it's then that we are strengthened for today And we are prepared for eternity. It gives a little bit of a different insight into the challenges that we face here on earth, doesn't it? When we recognize that in the midst of the challenge, whether or not we were responsible for it, or it was by the result of someone else's actions, that God is still able to use every situation for our good. Sometimes I feel like we get into the middle of a situation and we recognize, man, I screwed up. This one's on me. I recognize I did something wrong here. And as a result of that, we do this thing where we feel like all that we are deserving of is punishment. We realize our own shortcomings and our failings and so... We think the natural byproduct of that is that God is angry and we need to be punished instead of recognizing what's available for us in the middle of the situation that we're facing. Sometimes we're in a situation that was caused by somebody else. Somebody else hurt us. Somebody else offended us. Somebody else betrayed us. And we look at those situations and we say, why me, God? Why did that happen to me? Why am I here? And we fail to realize that in the midst of it that God wants to use that very affliction, that moment of challenge, that opposition that's standing in front of you to produce something in you that is greater than anything that you could ever bring to bear yourself. This is meant to change the way that we look at the situations that we face. But the question that I'm sure you're all asking here today is how how do we when we have this mindset actually walk out what is required of us to be able to receive that eternal weight of glory that were promised here in the scripture how do we do this what is it that God wants to bring out of the midst of the circumstance that we're in first we have to recognize that there is purpose in them That there is a purpose that God wants to bring out of every challenge that we face. There's a purpose that God wants to bring out of everything that is standing in front of us, and there is an opportunity waiting on the other side of it. But who knows first, we have to make it to the other side. First, we have to make it to the other side of the challenge. Sometimes we look at the challenges and we're just hoping that we can make it through. I just want to make it to the other side. What's that saying? If you're going through hell, don't stop. Just keep going. You got to get through it. But the truth is, is that God has so much more for us than simply surviving the situations that we're going through. It's good to say that resistance produces strength because it's true. But it isn't enough to stay in that place because if the resistance that we're constantly going through Brings us back to the same solutions that we've always had Then who knows we're going to keep ending up in the same situations over and over and over again Instead of building the correct muscles Instead of building the correct posture To borrow a chiropractic term, we start to get out of alignment we keep going through these same situations over and over again and, and our thinking is affected by it and we're just like, I just got to make it through. I just have to survive. I just have to get to the other side when God's saying, no, there, there is so much more that I am bringing you to and bringing you through in this situation if you would recognize it and trust in me. See, God has equipped us to walk through these situations. He has empowered us through the price that Jesus paid on the cross, through his death and his resurrection, for us to not just make it through the situations, but to see and know the purpose on the other side of it. See, all of this brings me to this word that we know very well in the church and in Christianity. It's the word grace. Grace. The grace of God. The Greek word charis. You see, Paul spends a lot of time using this word and speaking about it in his letters to the churches and to other individuals. He uses this word over 80 times in his epistles, in his letters. And specifically in Second Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians, he really highlights what this word grace means. And he uses it in, in two primary ways. The first way that he uses this word grace is to speak about our justification. The power of God that is extended to us as humanity, that through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, we now get to step into a place of reconciliation with God. It's the grace of God that has been extended to us that we now get to walk in, to be able to be the recipient of something we did not deserve. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. This is an important definition and understanding that we have to have when it comes to this word grace. The second way that he really uses this word is in a way of empowerment. We receive the grace of God. We understand the gift that is given to us. And then we understand that it is meant to bring us to a greater reality of who he's called us to be. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul is saying, I am the least of these. Now many of us would argue that that's not true. We see what what Paul accomplished. We see his, his words that were written down and recorded for us to be able to learn from and grow from even today through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But even Paul is saying, I can't do this on my own. It is through grace. It is through the grace of God that I am able to do what he's called me to do. Can I tell you that it is through the grace of God that you are equipped to walk through the challenges and the afflictions and the persecution and the pain and the hurt of this life it is through the grace of god that we are able to know that we can't just make it to the other side that there is something that god has for us that is not just temporary but it's for eternity so we have to have both of these viewpoints But it's not enough just to know about them. We have to be able to apply them. We have to know that we have been given an ability to walk in right standing with Jesus. But then we have to know what it means for us. We have to know that we have the grace that has empowered us to overcome our own limitations. Because when we recognize this truth, when we recognize this grace, it empowers us to seek Him even in the times of affliction. To know that God is so good that he can take our biggest mess, he can transform it, and he can use it for our good. See, this is only possible because God has no limitations. He has no limit. So in him, everything is possible. You see, Jesus speaks this word. He said... He said, nothing is impossible for God. Do you remember when the angel shows up to Mary, and Mary's like, wait, 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 what? I'm I'm going to bear the Savior of the world. I'm going to give birth to him. And the angel says, for with God, nothing is impossible. If we believe that, and we believe that about our salvation, do we also believe that it is true in the moment of affliction? If we believe the truth of what God has said, that we've come to a place of right standing with Christ because of his death and his resurrection, do we believe that that grace is available to us in the midst of the circumstance that stands in front of us? If we don't, then there needs to be a recalibration in the way that we're looking at the situations of life. There needs to be a a way of thinking that is different than the way of thinking that has led us into these situations time and time again. I was speaking to somebody after first service and he was saying, this is is good stuff, but it's, it's hard. And I said, of course it is. You've got a whole life of living one way, doing things a certain way, coming to that reality, and now you're coming to a place where that has to shift. Where it's not on your own effort, your own ability, your own reliance, but it is now... Through the grace of God. This is the reality that we have to not just be aware of. Once again, it is not enough for us to get to a circumstance and say, I have the grace of God, therefore I'm just going to survive this. I'm just going to make it to the other side. Sure, I'm going to look like I just went through a a car wreck. I'm going to be battered, I'm going to be bruised, I'm going to be broken, but at least I'm going to make it to the other side. You see, for, for me, the grace of God is so much more than simply survival. If we're just expecting to just get through, we are limiting the incredible power of God that is present inside of us. You, you see, we can't just survive. We have to understand that there is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is not... Small. This is not limited. This is not reduced down to to a bite sized thing that we could just grab a hold of and say, I'm just going to make it through. This is big, this is weighty, and this is forever. But the difference in this, whether we just survive or we step into something that is greater than we can imagine, is how we choose to walk through the situations that we're facing. It's how we choose to see him. It it lies squarely on where or to who do we turn to in our time of need. Do we turn to God or do we turn to man? This is the question that has been asked throughout all of history. Joshua said it like this, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve man? Choose this day. Like this is the decision we have to come to Do we trust in ourselves or do we trust in his power His grace and his ability in the midst of it But more so than just making the right choice in our minds We have to live lives that actually bear this out With fruit that comes as a result of our belief and our trust in him The blueprint for walking in grace is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. This word sufficient doesn't mean just enough, by the way. It's not just, just to get you through. And where is his strength perfected? In our, in our weakness. In the places we recognize, first and foremost, I don't have what it takes. I wish I did. I've tried it. I've done my best. But it's in my weakness that his strength is perfected. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, what are we seeing in this about grace? Grace is not our doing, but it is the full recognition of our own limitation and a choice to rely on His infinite power. Amen. Obviously, much easier said than done. But you know what I think to be true about this, which may sound a little funny. Is that the longer that we are Christians, the harder this can become? Now, this doesn't seem to make sense. Shouldn't it get easier as we go? Shouldn't it be easier to rely on the grace of God? You see, sometimes what I believe happens is that we know the truth so much that we start to take our own wisdom and understanding from our own experiences and the situations that we've gone through and we begin to apply it to the truth of what God has said and then we call it His truth. The more that we've been a Christian, the longer we've been a Christian, the more that we've known God's grace is available and yet in the situations that we face we still are trying to find our own way through it the more we adopt a grace that is not actually the full grace that Paul's speaking about here. I call it manufactured grace. There's cheap grace, which is do whatever you want, ask for forgiveness, it's all going to be okay. And then there's manufactured grace, which is my understanding, my experience, my strength, and my wisdom, but I'm going to Apply it to God. I shared a couple weeks ago that before I became a pastor, I worked for this company driving a brown truck delivering brown packages, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. And in order to become a driver, we had to go to driver school. We had to learn their philosophies, their principles, their ideas, their values. We had to be able to repeat them. We had to be able to write them down word for word verbatim. So year one, day one, month one, week one, these things are fresh in our minds. But can I tell you that as I continued to work at this company and I looked around at some of the other drivers, I very quickly realized that the values that they operated by were not the same as the values that were being presented by the company. They still wore the uniform. They still represented the company, they still did the job, but they did it in their own way based off of their own values and their own experiences. There are times in Christianity where we present ourselves in the right way because we know the right words, we know the right verses, we know the initial steps to take, but yet we have adopted a philosophy that is not from God but it's from our own strength and our own ability. And we live in this manufactured, diluted grace, and then we wonder why we don't get the results that we've been promised. I am supposed to give you guys a disclaimer on the front of this that this may not necessarily feel the best. This happens to us. I'll use... An example that also doesn't normally go over very well. We know what the Bible says, give and it shall be given. We know what the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give under compulsion. We know the biblical precedent of tithing, and yet the statistics would show that 87% of Christians in America do not even come close to even giving a tithe, no less giving out of a place of abundance. We know the truth of what God has said. No, we are not supposed to give under compulsion. We are not supposed to just do it to check a box. But there is a biblical precedent for giving. And yet, because of our circumstances, because sometimes the money isn't flowing as freely as we would want it to, we start to pull back in these areas, because our new theology tells us that this is right. It's not just in the areas of giving. It's in areas across the board where we feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. God, I trust you. I, I want to see you come through in this situation, but I'm still going to try to figure out everything that I have to do to make it happen. I use this analogy a lot, it's like getting the bill in the mail, realizing I don't have enough in my account to cover it, so I go to God and I say, God, will you give me what I need? You're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're my source. You're the one that's going to take care of this. We say amen, and then the very next thing we do is try to figure out how we're going to pay that bill. The very next thing we do is see, oh, do I have to get another job? Can I apply for another line of credit? How much space do I have on this card? Can I ask for money? Can I borrow? Can I do whatever it is? I'm not saying be negligent. I'm not saying, you know, it's not important to be able to take care of these things. But if we're going to go to God and say, God, I'm trusting in you and we ask for his wisdom, his provision, his direction, then the very next step should be not going about it in our own strength, but going into a place of rest. God, I believe what you have said. I'm not going to walk in a manufactured faith or a manufactured grace where I speak the right words and yet my actions seem to indicate something entirely different. Manufactured grace is something that will always lack true substance. It will look good. It will, it will look like it's the right thing. But the problem is, is that when we are plugged into the wrong source, the wrong place of provision, we will attribute our effort to His. We will say that it's His will, His strength, and His provision, and yet the results won't be there. It's a counterfeit grace that looks good temporarily, but cannot withstand a true test. And once again, because of it, the fruit isn't there manufactured grace is the times in our lives where we're in a difficult season and we say let go and let God and then we do everything in our power to fix it it's the season of pain where we go to God as our comfort and then we self-medicate to just make it through It's the place where we do our best to live out this Christian life to put forward the right image So that everybody can see that we've got it all together. But inside we're at like an 11 out of 10 stress level We're beaten down we're broken We're fearful because we know that if we don't keep going and we don't keep figuring it out that everything is going to come crashing down around us And yet we say our faith is in god it's the places of emotional turmoil because we want, to, we want to trust God and yet we have so learned to rely on our own effort that we're just juggling everything, trying to be successful in our careers, our finances, and our families, but we feel empty on the verge of a burnout or a breakdown and we don't know how to get out of it. We still know that God loves us. We still acknowledge him. We still go to him as our provider. We may be even producing fruit in our lives. We may even see good results out of what we're doing. But at what cost? Knowing about the concept of grace, but then living as if it's dependent on our own ability is not really living out of grace see, true grace is unlimited in that its source is unlimited. God has no limit. Our manufactured grace can only come out of our own willpower. It's either God's power or our willpower. One is infinite. The other one, not so much. So what happens when it runs out? True grace is what gives us the reassurance of who we are in Christ. Manufactured grace always has to prove itself. It's almost like when we know we or others are walking in manufactured grace, like we're constantly trying to reassure ourselves and to convince ourselves that what God has said is actually true. I don't know if you've seen this before, but We know individuals who are in church. They love God. They they worship. They come to our church and all of a sudden they're gone and we find out they're not even serving God anymore. We're like, what happened? How is this possible? I would say that many times it's because we unknowingly live out of a place of manufactured grace where we believe and we trust but then we rely on ourselves and then when our own strength runs out we think that God didn't come through for us and now we have questions. Manufactured grace does not produce life and it does not produce fruit. We see kids that have grown up in church grown up in, in Sunday school and doing all the right things and then they grow up and they become adults and they walk away from God and we're like, what happened? What happened? And we realize that the model and the example that they have been given is not actual reliance on God. And so when it doesn't go the way they expect, they don't have the foundation to be able to stand on. The church has to be those who know what it is to walk in, to breathe, to live, to to take in the true understanding of what it is to rely on Jesus, on His death, on His resurrection. To not be those who are walking around looking good on the inside, but internally our life is in chaos at a breaking point because we're just trying to keep it all together, but we're not able to let go enough to actually let God do what He wants to do. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. We've read it a couple of times in the past couple of weeks, but I want to read it out of the message translation. Jesus says, are you tired? Worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Religion is the ultimate manifestation of manufactured grace, by the way. He said, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. Do you know that God has rhythms, that they're in the spirit is a way of doing things that is not forced by man's ability in any way, shape or form? step out of agreement with your own rhythms of grace and step into alignment with the rhythms of grace that God is giving us. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. See, this is true grace. So how do we get there? How do we walk in it? Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, give and it will be given unto you good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it will be given back to you i use this verse because it's very contrary to our way of thinking but it's very representative of the kingdom in the kingdom we think we have to do in order to achieve in in our own kingdom but in the kingdom of god we recognize that it's when we rest and trust that he is able to do all that we need To step into true grace, we have to understand this principle that God says, I want you to recognize that your strength and your ability comes out of a place of rest and trust in me. This is the principle of the Sabbath. God established the Sabbath and he commanded his children to honor and to observe the Sabbath. You see, we so often feel I have to do as much as I can do in my job, in my family, in my home, and and all around the place. If I do all the things I know to do, then maybe I can just get ahead. And God says, I want you to stop and rest. There is work to be done, but the work comes out of the Sabbath, out of the rest. Jesus, I mean, God in in the garden, he creates the world. So in Genesis, he creates the world. And on the seventh day, he rests. But what's the first day for man created on day six? The first day that he walks into fully? The rest of the Sabbath. You see, God works and then he rests. We rest and then we work. God's economy doesn't work the way that we think that it's supposed to work. God's way of doing things doesn't make sense logically in our minds So what we have to do is recognize the places where we have gone by our playbook And see where it hasn't lined up with his playbook And then we have a choice to make We can continue to do what we've always done We can continue to follow the same routines The same ways of approaching situations and problems Or maybe just maybe we can stop and say, God, what's your purpose in this? What are you calling me to do in this situation? Most times it's going to look differently than, than what we've been doing. But if we trust in him, I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 16 this past week and Moses was instructing the people on what they were to do when they got into the promised land. And I'm not going to read it fully, but it's verses 13 through 15. He says in this specific portion, I want you to recognize and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle. It's a week long. I want you to celebrate. I want you to eat, to drink, to be merry. I want you to recognize and remember my goodness. I want you to remember and observe this time of celebration because of what I have done for you. Now that's a good That's a good deal, right? Like you're instructed to rest. You're instructed to be able to enjoy. You're instructed to be able to remember God's goodness. But this is what I thought was so cool. Verse 15 says, For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all of the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. He commands them to basically have a week-long party to recognize His goodness And as a result of this time of celebration, then he is going to bless all of their harvest and the work of their hands and their joy will be complete. This is not how we live live life. This is not how we live our lives. We, We work as hard as we can. We just get to the weekend. We try to survive. We come to church, God, you're so good. And then we go back and we do the same thing all over again. This doesn't seem to line up with the kingdom principles of what it means to rest and to work out of that place in obedience. Only God can say, if you want to become more productive and bear more fruit, you've got to learn how to stop. You've got to learn how to stop doing. You see, manufactured grace requires everything from us. But His goodness and His grace gives everything to us manufactured grace requires everything of us but his grace is the very thing that gives everything to us but what do we say in response god says i want you to rest you say but wait god i i've got to i've got to do this thing god if i don't do this this is what's going to happen I have people who depend on me. I have people who are waiting on me. I've got to do these things. If I let go, it's all going to fall away. It's all going to break down. And Jesus says, stop. Would you stop and recognize that I am God? That I am your source? That I'm the one who wants to give you what you need? Who is our Savior? It's not us. Can we live with the understanding that His grace is sufficient? That His strength is made perfect in our weakness. We didn't earn our salvation. We can't qualify for salvation after a lifetime of sin. We didn't pay the price on Calvary. So then why do we decide that we are the ones that have to do all of it to get to the results that we want? Instead of understanding that He wants to bring us through the light, the momentary affliction to be able to bring us into the eternal weight of glory. You see, true grace is beautiful and it's amazing and it does require something of us. Surrender. It requires us to surrender. James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble we have to recognize the self-righteousness that we so often walk in we have to recognize that it does not come down to our ability we can't continue to make excuses and say well this is just who I am I've got a greater capacity to work hard I've got a greater capacity to carry the load that all might be true but if it doesn't start in rest in him it's out of your own ability and strength and it's never going to work it's going to cost you it's going to cost you relationships it's going to cost you marriages it's going to cost you in your finances it's going to cost you in your lives it has to come out of a place of rest and trust in him the grace that is sufficient but he gives it to those who are humble to those who recognize i can't do it stop pretending that you can We have to learn the unforced rhythms of grace and stop producing cheap knockoffs when God wants us to walk in the infinite reality of His truth. I truly believe that if we were to really start to get this here today, that life wouldn't just look different one day a week. It wouldn't just be in one area that we see his goodness. It wouldn't just be in one situation where we feel like I've got the grace. But that we would understand in every affliction. In every situation that we walk through. He has an upgrade waiting for us on the other side. For now, yes. But more importantly, for all that he has called you to walk into for all of eternity. We're going to get there one time, one day, one moment. We're going to be standing there. But it's what we do right now that is going to dictate what it is that we receive when we walk into eternity with God. It's going to be great no matter what. But, guys, I don't want to accept just enough. There's much to be done here and now. And there's much more to be done when life really begins on the other side of this life that we don't really get. But can we trust what his word says?